Hello everyone, welcome to Life of Brian Mannix, that is the podcast with Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix. Hello Kevin and uh, hello to you listening. Uh, good to see you. I can't see you at all really. I'm just talking nonsense. Just got out of bed. Mm. <laughs> How are you Brian? How's uh, how's life in the burbs? Well, it's it's okay. Um, the I'm homeless. Just, yeah. how, how are you and the homeless yeah. going? Well, I am homeless um, <laughs> at the moment but um, yeah, I'm staying at my brother's for... Um, well, not for a week or so, and then um, you've I'll hit hard times in the entertainment industry, Mannix. Come on, fess up. Oh, look, I've had half. Of You're on the bones of your ass. So let's be I honest. I am on the bones <laughs> of my ass, and uh, and what lovely bones they are. <laughs> <laughs> At least you've got bones in yours. Uh, wow, fair enough. No, you're back gigging, and you're and you're obviously enjoying that. And uh, I see yes. big, big shows coming up uh, with uh, the uh, the absolutely eighties crew and uh, big. Big crew too out in the road. Yeah, yeah. We're um well I'm not sure which lineup we're talking about, but I know we're doing some stuff with Wilbur Wild and Ali Fowler and David Sterry. Um Dale's still not back on deck, um, because he hurt himself, but he's going very well. Fred from and the Machinations, I think, is part of it. Sean Fred Kelly. Fred from the Machinations, yeah, he goes all right. He's he's good. No, it's really good actually. I love um, you know, getting a you know, it's great to sing with them, but it's just nice to hang around with them backstage and, you know, swap war stories and, uh, you know, we've all sort of been through the same thing, so we all get it. It's great. Well, I've got uh, a guest today, one of them I know you've hung out backstage with because you're great oh, yes. mates with uh, with the one and only Leo Sayer. What a lovely man and um, very down to earth. I think that's why I like him so much and I think I'm taller than him, so that's another bonus. <laughs> you know, one of the but, things uh, I find about Leo is I, I, I talk to him and we've done it a couple of times now for this program and other programs over the years. You never get the sense that he had as much. He sold millions and millions and yeah. millions. I mean, he's had number one hits in every country in the world and he just says, G'day, how you going? Yeah, and, you know, and then you talk to him for a while and he's, you know, talks about, you know, he won't name drop but he sort of, it might come up that, oh, yeah, Mick Jagger, inv- you know, told him to invest in this thing and um, yeah. and he'd lost money and, you know, now Mick's always a bit sheepish when he sees Leo's a little sorry, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you know, he's, you know, he's hung around with all of these, you know, great people, you know, like, uh, you know, the Beatles, which he talks about. And um, Oh, there's two two fantastic stories about uh, the Lennon story and the McCartney story that you, you're going to hear in this podcast are, are just terrific stories. They're great yeah. stories. Yeah, um, he's, and he's, if you haven't seen him live, go and see him live because it's just a fantastic show. Um, he's one of the few artists I don't want to go on before or after <laughs> because he's that good. And he's yeah. got so many great songs and he's such a great singer. Quite frankly, he's starting to make me sick. He's so good at everything. <laughs> yeah, we're deleting him from the program as we speak. Now we got to. He's Can done we get new, an he, asshole on the show next week. <laughs> so these good people. He's uh, he's done a new album uh, called uh, Northern Songs, which is a, a, a tribute, I guess, in many ways to the Beatles. So he's he's been uh, ferreting away at this for a long time, and uh, it's finally out um, yep. through Demon uh, Records in uh, in the UK, and it's uh, being released on on all the platforms and stuff. So we're going to play a couple of songs from it, and we're going to talk to him about how he how he put the whole thing together. But as I mean. There's a, a John Lennon story and a Paul McCartney story that you've just got to have a listen to. They're sensational. So yes. Leo's coming up first, and then after that, yeah, after that, it's a bit of a kook. It is. Number, when you get a number one song in the UK, what's the first thing you do? You ring the Life of Brian podcast, or you let Absolutely them ring you? Absolutely, you do. Yeah. So, uh, and, and in typical Australian rhyming slang, we have a we've got a Barry Crocker for you. Ah, oh, fantastic! Well, actually, know. we've got the Barry Crocker for you. <laughs> The Adventures of Barry McKenzie. Oh, Fantastic. he's done so much. Yeah. And he used to be on TV all the time. I remember he had like really long legs. Yes, yes. And, and my mum used to say to me when I was little, she'd go, you'll grow like that. You'll have long legs <laughs> like him. Well, she was wrong. <laughs> she was. She We're going to talk wrong. to Barry Crocker about this uh, this incredible success of the Neighbours theme song. I'm going to talk to him about finding the song and the thing. And another uh, a member of the rhyming slang group will, will mm. be part of the conversation, the old Reg Grundy's. Oh, right. we, meant, we mentioned the Reg Grundy's in this as well, so uh, yeah, got it all. So we'll have a chat to Barry. That's uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, but first up, of course, uh, to talk about his uh, terrific Beatles album is Leo Say. Now, 
Before we get to that, I want to talk about Murcotts, and then I want oh, to tell yes. you. Then I want to remind you what happened when we got Leo Sayer on the line and had you on the line. But Murcotts, of course, we've got to talk about one three hundred five 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 seven six. That's their number. Uh, be a better driver. Just get out on the roads and, and be better at it. And the way to do it is to talk to Murcotts and, and get some uh, some advanced driving, some uh, driver techniques that you've you've either forgotten or never knew about, uh, things that you your periphery vision, all those things that make you a better driver. They'll help you with. Yes, they are very good. And um, as we mentioned, I think last week, um, what you learn there will also help your PlayStation games. As well, well video and, games. and Mark Lane did want to speak with you about that. Oh, really? He <laughs> yeah. wasn't happy with that. Yeah. So there's a meeting in Mark Lane's office for you and you only in the oh. principal's office after we finish. Oh, well, <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. Yeah, but, I, um, I think he secretly know, I, just wants to play PlayStation with you and uh, and just take oh, your pants down. Oh, he'd my ass. Yeah, he'd probably. know the racing lines better than I would. <laughs> yeah. He'd know when to brake later than I would and when to accelerate quicker than I would. Yep, out of accelerate, out of quarters, all those things. I reckon he'd kick ass on uh, V8 supercars or um, any of those video games. He yeah, would. Probably would. Mercots.edu.au is uh, is their website, one three hundred five 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 seven six. As always, we thank them for their great support of this podcast. Now, when we sat down to do yes. uh, the Leo Sayer um, interview, you yep. sort of were a little bit uh, uh, skew-whiff, I'd have to say. You were you were in between houses oh, and doing all yes. sorts of things. So yes, I had been it's sta- joining it, in. Yeah. So so Leo and I sort of started just by having a little chat and, you know, how yep. you going, Leo? How you going, Kev? All that sort of stuff. And then... And you did appear, and then you disappeared. <laughs> right. So just for the sake of, uh, you know, reality, and this is the nearest to, or you or I will get to a reality program, I just wanted to let people hear exactly how it played out. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how are you, Kev? Yeah, I'm you, good. You well? Yeah, I'm good. I'm really good, actually. Excellent. Uh, Up to YouTube or Vimeo at the moment. Oh, Brian good. can't hear you. Unmute your thing. Oh, there he is. He's there. He's, he's there. Are you awake at this time in the morning, Brian? <laughs> he can't hear us. Uh, no, this is fucked. No. <laughs> no, this, no, this is fucked. There's the first words out of his face. <laughs> he doesn't know we can see and hear him. Uh, no, he no, he's doesn't. Gone. He's gone. He's that gone. is classic. Well, should we carry on? Yeah, we should. We should. So what I want to ask, the, 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 the obvious question. I never trust him at this time in the morning. Yeah, I'm with you. The, um, the, the obvious question I love is him, though. how did you choose? I mean, this is like choosing your children for, for, for our generation yeah. who grew up listening to these songs because they're all so precious to us. They picked themselves. I mean, they just appeared. It's like as if in a dream. <laughs> no, yeah. but they just kind of came up. I mean, I was fooling around. I must admit, I didn't set out Beatles album originally. I was just fine trying to find something I could work on, and I thought of covers um, of other songs um, to learn some new techniques in the studio. And, oh, is he back? Is he back? Well, per- we'll carry on. This is about 10 years ago, and um, I don't know. I just suddenly heard in my head Eleanor Rigby and started singing it, but singing it to the kind of the rhythm of Michael Jackson doing um, um, Billie Jean, you know, and it just all happened. It was just amazingly sort of one of those things that, you you know, you you start working up the song, you go, hang on, this really works, you know. And by the end of the day, I had a track and and then I went on, I thought, hmm, Norwegian Wood, I'd love to hear that kind of slow jazz style, make it more mysterious. And then I thought, Girl, I hear that as Prince singing it, you know. Yeah. And then I, I heard I heard Strawberry Fields, and I thought, well, what happened if Ry Cooder was playing slide guitar, you know? So uh, all these things, kind of elements, came in, and um, and also, you know, trying to trying to put a groovy beat onto the Beatles, you know, trying to sort of bring them right a little bit up to as much as up to date as an old guy like me can do, because I'm I'm not Stormzy or or Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber, you know. But I mean. I can I can sort of bring some groove into it, and that's yeah. what I thought that I'd do as well. That was the other intention. So, having the first five songs or so recorded uh, with my very help of my really good friend John Hudson, who used to be Mayfair Studios, did all the Tina Turner and Brian Adams records, and he's over here now. And he'd moved over here at that time, and I thought, well, he was looking for a studio to work in. So I phoned three hundred one. I said, I've got John Hudson. Yeah, well. He's a legend when it comes to SSL and all the desks and everything. And so they said, well, we'll give him a studio straight away. So they gave him a room 
And that was the first project he and I did in that room and um, finished it off. And I started playing them to people and everybody said, you, you should do an album. Yeah. And I thought, well, I was generally just trying to find out how I could make records on my own. But that's how it became. And since then, of course, I've done the selfie album, um, you know, uh, and, and that was, again, all, you know, played and sung by me. Um, so, so it's a formula that, that, that works for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems to be, from the reaction the record's getting, it's a, a formula that's working for other people as well because they seem to really like the results. And uh, I, I kind of, I mean, I love working with bands, but, you know, when you don't have too many people between you and the result, <laughs> if you know what I mean, yeah. um, it's a bit like, you know, being a, a painter like a Van Gogh or something, you know, you don't have too many intermediaries kind of saying, oh, you can't do that, or you can't, or you must do this, or try this, you know, then you find you've got a very focused project, you know. And, a, uh, um, a, a very uh, learned man once said it's making music by committee. Didn't you, learned man Brian Mannix? Can you, what did I miss? I can't get this Zoom yeah. to work at all. Well, we can see you. you so We can see you. We and you've already you imparted. Hear you, you've already imparted three wonderful words to us when you when you, you were you, setting it up. You said this is fucked. You said this fucking doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Came in as you went well, out. <laughs> <laughs> well, my apologies for my crudeness. How no, are you, Leo? Right. What we, have we I? We know you. We know you, brother. How are you doing? Yes. Um, have well, you I'm managed to stay safe out. from COVID. Um, I don't even care anymore. I think um, I probably need to get it so I don't have to worry about it. But um, well, well, I've had it, mate, and I'll tell you, being being seventy three years old and having it, um, Omicron was it it, it, it it could kill you, quite honestly, um, if you're not careful. And thank God, I look after myself, you know. Um, but boy, it was I was down for about fourteen days or so. Wow. Oh, that's no good. So do wear your mask and look after yourself. <laughs> I shall indeed. Now, what have I missed, yeah, Ken? Yeah. What have you asked him? Oh, I've asked, I asked Leo how he went about picking the songs, and he's just talking about uh, that Ellen the Rigby was, yeah. Songs, yeah. Ellen is, Rigby was right, the first one that kind of came along. I finally got a copy. I know. I've had a listen, Leo. It's great. It's oh, really thanks, good. buddy. Um, I was, I was saying to Kev how it started about 10 years ago and right. just fooling around in the studio trying to find out how I could work by myself and not call the band. And, and basically, yeah. you know, experimenting and finding out after a while that I had some very zany ideas for Beatles tracks. And a lot of people have supported me all the way through. I've got to say Glenn A. Baker was great because he'd come around to my place and never listening. What the hell is that? Oh! And then, you know, hear the song and because and, and, it was all surprised by the time the first vocal came in. But he was very supportive. He said, you've got to release this. It's so different. I mean, I've had I've had brickbats already from the fanatic Beatles fans. You know, we've been doing some yep. TV Zoom links in England, and you know, the first thing that comes back is, "How dare he? This is sacrilege!" Oh. But I expected <laughs> all of that. You know, that's 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 fine. Look, I mean, you know, if you listen to Nina Simone singing Bob Dylan, or Jesus, I mean, Joe Strummer, you know, doing doing a a, a country song, you know, or oh, well, Ray Charles doing Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire. I mean, everybody has always done outrageous covers of other people's acts of songs. Mm. Stevie Wonder, look at that, doing the Beatles. We can work it out. I mean, he took it to a completely new place, you know. So yeah, I don't understand what's strange about it. I think we're, we're, we've got to interpret stuff. Well, I don't think there's much point in just doing an exact copy of the Beatles song because the Beatles pretty much nailed it. <laughs> And I think what you've exactly. done is you really Leo Sayers, you know, they're still true <laughs> to the Beatles melodies and stuff. But yeah. the Eleanor Rigby, that's it's kind of got a bit of a disco beat to it. It's sort of um, well, it's, it's very Leo yeah, Sayers. It's, it's it's very deliberately married to to Billie Jean, you know, and what Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson did with those records. I just thought the two thing two elements together could work, and they did. I mean, doesn't mess with the timing doesn't even mess with the original tempo of the song. And it was already there in 120 BPM. So, so, uh, and I've got to say, while I was doing the project, I wasn't really checking back with the Beatles originals. You know, I was, mm. I, I was kind of listening to the songs as I heard them in my head. You know how we do. I mean, I'm sure yep. Jimi Hendrix, when he did Wild Thing, didn't, didn't reference the trogs. He just started <laughs> going, oh yeah, that's a song goes Wild Thing, you know, and just started playing it. So and that's what came out, you know, so, 
I think that's what we do. We we kind of remember classic songs in our head, don't we? We yeah. store them up, you know, and we they come back in our own way, in our own personal interpretation. So I tried to stick with that as much as possible. And um yeah, I'm I'm pleased with the results. It's good. It, your bass player is really good. Um he's doing some really sort it's of funky me. stuff, isn't it? Is that you? Playing I, I played everything. Wow, no, I didn't realise you could play bass actually. I thought the bass was no, Fantastic. no, I'm just, I'm just manipulating samples. It's all done in the computer, but I tried to make it timing-wise as human as possible because you know when you work with sequences, mm. you can actually kind of move notes around. So yeah. I did a lot. That's why it took ten years to do. It's it's a hell of an operation to make it sound human, but you can do it, you know. And I mean, I think before me, people like Todd Rundgren were doing this, you know. So you know, finding ways to make a record without anybody else intervening. That's the that's the trick, you know. So, yeah, I played everything. And those are all guitar samples and things that I've saved up for years. I mean, funny enough, there's guitar solos in there and I've grabbed pieces that I've been storing for years. I mean, I've got a, a vast library of samples. And, wow. And, um, yeah. Well, I'm the bloke who wrote One Man Band, so I suppose that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do you play? What do you play, Leo? You play piano, a bit of guitar? Very bad what? keyboards. Yeah. No, I can't play guitar. Never okay. have been able to. Harmonica, of course, and um, which is my first instrument, and um, just keyboards, really. But, you know, I mean, it's and, – and I, I think I was – I'm not being flash, but I think I was born with perfect pitch because basically that's what's been my – my stand-in thing, I, you know, I can sing a line to a guitarist, which is exactly in key. And whenever I go and sing any of my live songs, I'm, I always seem to hit the right key. I'm never out of key, you know. So, so I think I've got good pitch and, I've, and, and good sense of harmony. And those are, that, that's basically almost all you need to make, put music together. And, and, and maybe the ear to separate instruments you know because basically yeah. if you can listen to something and work out what each instrument's doing um sometimes in a big sort of field specterish kind of landscape it's hard to do that but but if you can if you can pick things out and separate them then then you're pretty much halfway there yeah i'm kind of proud at this moment in my life that i can play everything myself i heard you saying before that um that you know not having too many people between the idea and the result yeah and yeah, that's yeah. so true because often, mm. you know, you write a song and then by the time the producer and the engineer and they all do their thing with it, it's yeah, sort of like, yeah. oh, it's sort of taken it away from what I wanted, what I originally um, wanted. Yeah, and I also yeah. think that when you do it yourself, if it doesn't turn out, you go, oh, well, I followed my gut instinct. I've done it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That, Move on that, or else if, start again. Yeah. But if you listen to somebody yeah. else and it doesn't turn out, you get annoyed with yourself for not following your gut instinct. So I think it's really good that you played everything and, you know, made the record that you wanted to make because, yeah, yeah. you know, with the Beatles thing, if you had, you know, a committee in there, it could turn out nothing like the way you wanted it to. Well, you could look at it two ways. I mean, one is it's distraction because, you know, it's so hard to concentrate on doing anything. I mean, I'm writing my book at the minute and I'm writing it by myself because I've tried ghostwriters and they just – end up not sounding like me you know so yeah. so so uh, you know you've got to have your own voice so that distraction is one point and the other thing is you know just possibilities i mean you're saying some of those bass lines i mean i kind of mm. heard in my head and i play but honestly believe me if i had a bass player I said no you can't play it like that they tell you all the time yeah. what is possible on the fretboard so basically you'd end up with a compromise you'd end up in an octave that you didn't want um, so the notes you chosen wouldn't stand out, you know, as, as being running over the top of the music. So I think you end up with something, uh, you know, there's a great pro. Look, if you build a shed, right, we're blokes, aren't yeah. we? If you build a shed and you build it by yourself, what do you feel? Proud. Yeah. You know, so, and I think you've only got yourself to criticise. So I, I think it's the answer if, if you can do it. I mean, it's not a lot of people do it because it takes time. And that, that, that's yeah. the only thing of what I'm doing. And it does take time. It's been 10 years in the process, this album, on and off, you know, um, in, in that time. And, of course, COVID gave me these last two and a half years have given me more chance to kind of really concentrate on it. So that's what I've done. And plus, you know, as I was saying to Kev, I've got a great number two in John Hudson, my engineer, 
who used to be Mayfair Studios in London, did all the Tina Turner records, all the, you know, the big hits for Brian Adams and, and yeah. the first Dire Straits album and all those things. He's incredibly talented. So I can throw him an idea like I'd like some backing, backwards vocals here and I'd yeah. like a little bit of reverse cymbal in amongst my drum loop. And I'd like, um, if you can get a delay, look, I don't like my snare. Could you find me a better one? And he does yeah. all those things for me. So having a, a, a kind of number two, even though we had to do the whole album or, or the finish of the album completely online, which was difficult because John would send yeah. me a mix and go, oh man, I hate it. And I'll have to work out why I hate it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then he's kind of, you know, I can tell... Well, he's very, he's very palatable, you know, so, but I'm feeling he's slightly insulted. So then I've got to explain to him in detail why and pick out a few things. And then he kind of goes, oh, yeah, okay, okay, try that. Then it comes back and I go, John, it's perfect. <laughs> so we kind of got there, you know, there's a lot of toing and froing. Some, some songs would take about a week or two uh, oh. if different versions coming over. You know, if I, if I look at the mix tracks on, on my computer, you know, on Eleanor Rigby, there's about 50 mixes before we were happy, you know. So wow. it's the detail afterwards that is a lot more than when you're standing in a band in a band room with five guys and, you know, just mix it. I mean, because you, you've made all your arrangement in the studio. So, look, it's tricky, but, mm. but it is rewarding, yeah, I think. songs Beatles songs that you thought you might do that didn't make the album or yeah you know? quite a few I, I cut 29 wow I did like um and there was, some of them were really radical I mean when I was in the Middle East doing gigs 
many, many years ago, I used to record all the mullahs, you know, that would sing the, the, the song of prayer, the song of, you know, when, you know, all those voices oh, yeah. that come over from the temple. So I, I had a load of those and I, I, and I looked through my, my tapes and I, I put them down digitally and I mixed them all together. I made a bed for uh, Baby, You're a Rich Man. Oh, and, wow. Uh, you know, and it sounded, I might, I might still finish that sometime. It sounded incredible because, you know, the contrast of the mullahs with their very sectarian life, yeah? Yeah. Almost like Pentecostalists, but thank God not, but not as bad. Um, <laughs> but, the, but the Muslims, you know, with their very structured life and this song all about money, it seemed to kind of, I don't know, it kind of worked, you know. And then I, I had a, um, my drummer, Mark Kennedy, who Brian knows very well. Yeah, um, drummer. His, his wife, Dory, who's Swiss, she's, a, she's also a, a didgeridoo player. She's one of the most recognised didgeridoo players. So I had her down and we did Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds with her playing didge. And it, wow. Lucy in the sky, you know, and it, that was pretty adventurous. I mean, again, might finish that. You never know, there might be a version two of all this. So there were all these yeah. kind of, because I was trying to go for, well, a little bit shock factor, you know, and a little bit kind of surprise myself with, you know, how far we could take these songs. I mean, I had paperback writer basically as a rap, you know. Wow. And, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you a story about me, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I was trying a lot of adventures with it, but the, I think what happened was in the end, I thought uh, I phoned my record company in England. And they said, "Well, if you can deliver it in the next few weeks, then we can release it." And uh, next year, so I, yeah, I thought time to stop and time to finish off. But, but by that time, I'd got like uh, 18 tracks, and then I threw in. The, the other version of Eleanor Rigby, which was kind of done on Garage Band for a load of fun, just to see oh, yeah. how that worked. And yeah, I threw that in at the end as well, because I thought it'd be nice to bookend the album with how it started, you know. Yeah. So the last cut is Eleanor Rigby V2. The, the Beatles you, for Brian and I are, are a band we listen to. They're your peers. Is that, is that, does that change the perspective for you? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I met all of them yeah. at various times and, and hung out a lot with George towards the end of his life. And, um, yeah, I knew them. I mean, uh, you know, you, you admired them so much because, as you see in Get Back, the movie, you know, they were mm. so experimental themselves. Any idea that they thought of, they would go for. They were fearless, you know. And I think mm. that's why we all love them so much. You know, they, they, um, uh, they weren't scared to try anything. And, 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 I, and I always loved that about them. And, and as people, they were interesting as well, you know. When I first met John Lennon, um, I was a graphic designer and he was visiting this girl called Yoko Ono at her boyfriend's flat, which was upstairs in the building. And my, my art studio was where I was working was down at the ground floor. And we were working with dangerous chemicals. So in those days, before the smoking bans came in, we couldn't smoke in there. Everything would go up in flames. So I had to smoke in the backyard and John wasn't allowed to smoke in Yoko's flat or Yoko's husband's, you know, boyfriend's flat. And so um, we, we used to meet in the yard, and I never had the guts to kind of turn around and say, oh, hello, Mr. Lennon, I'm a huge fan, because <laughs> you just don't do that in a situation no. where you're sharing a joint with you know. So he would just um, he'd throw this big fat joint over at me, and I'd have a puff, and I'd go, yeah, that's great. He said, good in it, good in it, just got that. And, and, and you know, and if his ciggy was going out, I'd give him a light. So... We kind of knew each other as smoking buddies, you know, like yeah. people, like when you know, you know, work in a work in an office or something, and the guy that you meet yeah. from the next office downstairs on the pavement, it was like that. And I didn't, and, and then you know, I didn't see him for years. And then, funny enough, we were mastering my first record, um, and we decided Adam Faith, who was producing, decided mm. to master it at Apple uh, Studios in Savile Row, which you see in the film. And they got a little mastering room in there, and we went in there. And one day, I'm walking in there. And I bump into this guy in a big coat, jumping out, and it's out of the door, the other side, and it's John Lennon. And I, I said, so, I'm so sorry, John, I think I actually said. And he told me, he said, it's you, isn't it? It's you. He said, I, know, I remember you. He said, when I was first going out with Yoko, and I, you're my smoking buddy, aren't you? Yeah. And I said, yeah, and I just made a record. And he said, well, good luck with it. He said, it's nice to see you again. 
<laughs> How great is that? Oh, wow. It's a, and that's, so that, that, that was cool, you know. He's a lovely fella. Um, and Paul, I met Paul when um, first day I signed up with Adam Faith. I think he was showing off and showing his clout and everybody knew, but we went in there and out of a side door walks Paul McCartney. So huh, you suddenly you're sitting down with, oh, my, my God, that is Paul McCartney. So I'm sitting down having dinner with Paul and he says, ask me anything. And I saw so ask him what microphone he uses and all about his bass. And he wouldn't tell me a thing. He said, you're going to find that out for yourself. So, but I'll give you one piece of advice. Don't cut your hair. Uh. And I didn't. I mean, I took his advice. And, and years and years later, when wings were around, you know, and they're playing in LA and I think I was staying in LA and I was walking down Sunset Boulevard to go to Tower Records, as you do, which was always mm-hmm. open all night. So you could go yeah. there at two o'clock in the morning. Somewhere around one o'clock in the morning, um, I'm walking down the street and a little Mercedes pulls up beside me and a door opens and a guy inside shouts, get in, get in. So, you know, what do you do? Get in. So I I get in and it's Macca. And I'm sitting there with him and he said, you took my advice then. I'm like, what? I mean, how would you remember? You know, I, I didn't remember. He's got this memory like an elephant, believe me. And so he took, you took my advice, you didn't cut your hair. So... We went to the record store and he said, look, I tell you what, he said, you buy 10 records for me and I'll buy 10 records for, for you. So, wow. okay, cool. So, so I bought him a load of old blues stuff and, you know, old gospel and some spoke, speaking voice. So he bought me a load of classical records and choral stuff, stuff I'd never heard before, mind-blowing stuff. And he, he phoned me a week later because I told him where I was staying. And it's, it's Paul McCartney for you. And I'll go, oh, <laughs> thank you. So I pick up the phone. And he says, those records are fucking great. And that was, hey. that was all, you know. So he said, look, next week, he said, Linda is flying with the kids to London. And I've looked at the manifest because he couldn't do that. He's Paul McCartney. And he mm. sees that I'm on the same flight. He said, could you look up? He said, I'll bump you up to first class. And he said, no, no, could you look after the, the Linda and the kids for me? I said, a pleasure. So that's what I did. And then... I think the same day they were playing in, in London, I went to the gig and it was great and hung out with Paul backstage and a smashing bloke, you know. I mean, I, I'm scared that they're going to hear this record and hate, you know, <laughs> Paul and Ringo. But, but I don't know. I mean, there's a friend of mine, Tony Bramwell, who was the Beatles' last press officer at the time of, of um, Abbey Road. And he says he's going to play it to him. So I'm, I'm cowering with fear. Oh, wow. He's either going to love it or hate it. Yeah, I don't think you've got much to worry about. I think you'll be fine. Yeah, I think John would love it. Um, oh, he'd love it. Know, and I, I know yeah. George would love it because, because, you know, he used to tell me the story of behind North, Only a Northern Song, which, the, mm. you know, always gets its title. And, and that song was all about the fact that they hated Dick James making more money than yeah. they were with the publishing, yeah. you know. So they were really out to, they wanted to, as soon as they met Alan Klein, the first thing I think that they asked him was, can you set up a publishing company? Because they were they were just ticked off with having no control over their songs. And that song, you know, when it says, you know, do you care if my hair is brown or black or red or yellow? It's only a song, you know. But they're trying to mm. kind of make the point that whatever we do, we're just creative, and there's all these other people who take us more seriously than, than they take us. So I thought it was an important song to highlight, you know. And not many people yeah. cover that because it was just an obscure one from, what was it, from Yellow Submarine, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I must admit I, yeah. I wasn't aware of the song, Leo, to be honest. I, I had to listen to yeah, it and, yeah. and seek it out as a Beatles song to, to know where it came from. <laughs> yeah, George was also uh, pretty angry with the Taxman too, hence the song Taxman. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and if you watch Get Back, I mean, look at the way they all dissed his new songs that all ended up on All Things Must Pass, his first solo album. Isn't it a pity? And 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 um, you know, all things must pass. That song, all, all these amazing songs, and you see them in the studio. Paul and John, and they go, "Yeah, nice stuff. Yeah, yeah." Anyway, uh, John, um, <laughs> you know, and they just dissed him. I mean, but I don't think Abbey Road would have got made in the way that it got made without the intervention of George. Because don't forget, George, hang on, get back. He brought in Billy Preston, you know. So. Yeah, he made that happened. So, but I mean, he brought in Eric Clapton and lots of engineers and lots more recording techniques into the Beatles. No, he brought in a, he brought in a lot of um, you know really good elements, and that's why 
for me, Abbey Road is still the greatest Beatles album. I mean, they all go back nostalgically mm. to the early ones, but I love Abbey Road because it's as good as the Beach Boys could ever make. You know, yeah. it's a perfect record in every way. Yeah. We talked about you doing some shows and stuff. Are you going to do anything yeah. in terms of doing this as a as a showcase show, or are you just going to integrate it into into what you do? I'd have to have fifty musicians on stage if I did it as a showcase. I, I don't think I could. Um, but we are going to integrate, you know, the, the 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 simpler elements of some of the songs, yeah, into the show. So when I get to England, I'll be rehearsing it with the um, with the British guys, and we'll have a look at it and. Um, take that to the first shows we do in Ireland and then to the British tour. Yeah, yeah, you know, why not? The reaction from the public has been fantastic. So I have to, I have to do it, you know. So, um, yeah. and it's a nice way. I mean, look, it's my 50th year this year. And I, I thought, well, it'd be a nice way to celebrate it by doing a, a, a sort of pet project, if you like, rather yeah. than just another Leo, you know. So um, that's coming. I mean, I've got a load more songs I'm ready to do now, but... But I mean, it's it's a bit scary at the moment because I'm 74 this year. Jesus, it's it's. Um, you think of everybody like dear old Glenn Wheatley coming uh, down, you know, in front of you. Jesus, it's 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 scary this age. I tell you. Let me ask you this: I just got to stay alive. <laughs> if, Leo, if you didn't know how old you were, how old would you think you are? 25. <laughs> yeah, I feel about 25, so, 30. <laughs> But yeah. I'm not. But, no, you know but, what I mean. It's like it's it. We have to because we're in this business that has always kept us young, and we had our kicks mm. when we were young, didn't we? So we carry that still with us. We, you know, we look at life, we look at women, we look at everything in it as as we were in our youth. We never grow up. Thank God. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. never grow up, Brian. You're you're, you're eternal kid. You know, and, um, and 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 you and and that's energy, and that's what's what's beautiful. You know, it's like. Um, that's what we get recognised for. And, and people come to see us. They come to see you, Brian. They come to see me because it makes them feel young. And yeah. isn't that cool? I mean, what a great, oh, great. job we have. Well, you know, <laughs> we get paid. We get a, we get applause for what we do. And then yes, yes. we, we um, take people's minds off their problems and um, we make hopefully them make, them a, yeah, yeah. make them feel good and make them feel happy. And that's, know, a, that's a great that thing is, to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's as good as being, you know, when they talk about vocations like being a priest or a monk or a bishop or a nun, yeah. it's as good as that, I reckon, because, you know, yeah. you're just really giving positives to the world. Yeah. And we get to wear better clothes than the priest and the nun. <laughs> and have more fun backstage <laughs> after <this. laughs> oh, That's debatable, I would have thought, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Leo, it's been fabulous catching up with you, mate. Thank you so much. Well done on the yeah, album. good, good. Thank you very much. No, yeah. And what are you guys sure. up to? Brian, are you out gigging at all yet? I'm, um, yeah, I've just started doing some gigs. I'm still getting a few, you know, cancelled or postponed. Yeah, but, it's the um, same here. It's, yeah, it's, it's going okay. And um, I think I'm going to, I'm inspired by you. I'm going to go and do a cover <laughs> of Revolution Number no. 9. Number nine. That's a good one. Number yeah. nine. Number nine. Number nine. We <laughs> become nine. naked. Number nine. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's really good to see you both. Yeah, and lovely to talk and um, keep safe, boys. And yeah, I'll will. see you soon. Thanks, Leo. I'll see you, see you on the stage, Bri. Okay, mate. Congratulations. It's a great record, mate. I love it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm honoured by that. Thank you very much. I'm a big fan, as you know. Keep up the good work.
Leo, so it's uh, the album's called Northern Songs, and that is the uh, the track called Only a Northern Song, the George Harrison song that uh, that Leo talked about in the interview. But uh, lovely to have him on the program. Check the album out; it's, it's got some, you know, obviously every song is an absolute gem, and uh, they've been Leo Sayed, as you so yeah. lovingly put it. Yeah, it's Leo Sayed biscuit. Yeah. No, it's a Sayo biscuit. Anyway. Yes. But, no, he's done his own thing with them and, um, you know, good on him, I think. Um, there's no point just doing a Beatles song the way the Beatles did it because yeah. they did it and you're probably not going to do it better than they did it. So you may as well make it your own and he's done just that and uh, congratulations to that lovely man, Leo Sayo. We've got to get an arsehole on next week, Kev. I'm really, I'm serious. I'm sick Does Alex Smith people. qualify as one of those? No, he's a good bloke. Yeah, too. I know. Oh, G. Wayne Thomas, who will be on the next program as well. Oh, no, he's a lovely fellow too. Bloke. Struth. No, oh, well, you just have to put up with me. Oh, oh and I qualify <laughs> apparently. <yeah. laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, no, Alex Smith and G. Wayne Thomas will be our guests on the next uh, Life of Brian. G. Wayne Thomas, if you don't remember, that magnificent song that you and I just yes. love. Yes. Well, that's what we're doing. We're having a sort of yes. segment where we look at a song. Those great songs, them. those songs where you go, oh, that oh, song. That's a beauty. So when uh, when we talk to G. Wayne, obviously, we'll be talking about Open Up Your Heart, which is uh, – and uh, for uh, people in Melbourne, the film is uh, at one of the cinemas, and I can't remember which one now. Uh, the Morning of the Earth is being re-released in the cinemas uh, for, to put on the big screen to have a look at. It's a wow. surfing film, and it's uh, it's spectacular. And yeah, uh, yeah, G. Wayne Thomas it. does all the music. I remember seeing it down at – uh, Torquay or something when it first came out. All right. And um, I think it was one of the first films that sort of um, filmed the waves from underwater and you'd see, the, you know, the, the churning and all that sort of stuff. There I think was- the bloke who did it actually uh, pioneered the uh, the camera technique where they could get inside the, you know, what do you call yeah, that? Yeah, uh, the, the tube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because up until then surfing films were basically just a camera on the beach filming somebody surfing and this one just got right in the water with, with the surfers. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, it's a... Uh, and I think I'm right in saying it's got no dialogue at all. It's all completely the music. And and, yes, and G. Wayne right. Thomas will tell us about uh, putting all that music together. In the next podcast, I'm also going to Northern Italy, as we mentioned, to catch up with uh, the former lead singer of uh, Moving Pictures, uh, Alex yeah. Smith. So, yes. But and now... Well, we're talking about a song today, really, aren't we? That's yeah, we are. pretty much why we've got Barry on the show. Yes. Uh, and uh, so let's let's ring him up. Uh, number one song in uh, in the UK. Uh, knocked off the big names, the really big names in uh, in uh, current uh, music. Uh, he yeah, Adele, knocked them Ed off. Sheeran, yep. Ed Sheeran. Yep. All of them. He's, Bang. He's about 86 and he's number one. Here he is. Fantastic. Hello. Hello, Barry. It's Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix calling you. How are you going? Yep, I'm fine. Is this a record or are we live to air? I don't know. Oh, Whichever. Sh- shit, no, we're not live. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good attitude to have. <laughs> yeah, it can happen. No, thank you so much yep. for doing this. Say good day to Brian. Hello. Hi, Brian. How are you, mate? I'm short but coping, but... Um Quite envious of you. You've got the number one song in England. How about that? <laughs> Unbelievable, mate. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, expect the unexpected. I mean, you never know at, at, at what age you're going to uh, make an impact. I mean, it's just just super. <laughs> How long it will last, I don't know. <laughs> hey, can you tell us well, about, you know, when, when the song came, the song came to you sort of, through a phone call, wasn't it, from uh, from uh, uh, Tony Hatch? T- Tony Hatch, yeah. yeah. Tony had written it with... Uh, what, what, the, the whole thing started with Reg Grundy, who was uh, about to launch this new soap, and uh, he put the, the feelers out there for, for musicians to send in the theme, you know. And uh, so Tony gave me a call one night, I think it was at the weekend, and I went across, and uh, he already had the backing down, and... Uh, so I sang on the demo, and uh, and uh, on Monday morning, I think it was on Ridge's desk, and then Tony got the call, and uh, Ridge said, I, I love this, this is terrific, uh, I think you've won the competition. And uh, Tony said, oh, this is great, I'll, we'll, we'll do it properly now, because it was only a demo, and <laughs> Ridge said, don't touch it, I love it the way it is, don't, don't touch it. And so it, uh, it was the easiest thing perhaps I'd ever done. And here it is, uh, yeah, 40 years later, I've been uh, number one. Goodness, That's mate. fantastic. 
So it's been played, I think they've updated it from time to time, haven't they? But they keep going back to it. But um, how many yeah, years well, they, do you reckon that version got played for? Uh, well, I was, I was being paid for seven years. And I think when Reggie sold the company, uh, someone there in the, uh, the accounts department said, why are we giving Crocker this uh, little bit of money? You know, it's not much, but it was a... You know, yeah. musical credit. They said, we get a session singer, you can put it down for 500 bucks and uh, we don't have to pay any more. And so, uh, yeah, for seven years, uh, it went across the world, of course, you know, it was the, the height of papers. Mm. And uh, that was uh, when when uh, they asked the people in England which version they wanted played, uh, it was a, a unanimous decision that mine was the original and probably the best from their, their point of view. Absolutely, no doubt about that. Now, Tony Hatch is still alive, I believe. Oh, of course. As a matter of fact, he's in Australia at the moment. He's visiting his relatives. He has uh, grandchildren and stuff here and, and in New Zealand as well. So he's sort of floating through the uh, the area. He's, he's certainly very much alive, oh, as, as I am, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a far cry from the Geelong Comedy uh, Theatre Ensemble that you, you sort of started in this business at however many years ago that was, Barry. The Geelong Musical Comedy Company? Uh, yes, so that was uh, 1951. Is there anyone out there who remembers 1951, I wonder? Uh, yeah, no, that was, uh, you know, I, I fell in love with a girl that uh, belonged to the... Uh, to the uh, the company that was part of the chorus and everything, so you know I joined. Simple as that, you know, to 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 woo her, and uh, all of a sudden I found that uh, there was a voice there, and I had a a love for the treading the boards. So it was, uh, from an amateur point of view, you know, it was uh, something that uh, would last me well until I retired about two years ago. You know, it would. Uh, would give me a, a, an income and a, a certain amount of fame. Wow. Did you woo the girl? Yes, I did, and we married. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> it, 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 went, it went through a couple of, uh, of, of uh, different stages at that time. It would, you know, I was uh, pursuing her, and uh, she'd get a bit sick of that. But eventually, you know, uh, we won over each other or whoever won the competition, I'm not sure. But anyway, we had five children together and so that was the start of uh, of my family with with Dorian. Wonderful. And you, were you a cyclist back in those uh, early days in Geelong when you were, you know, yeah. being, being yeah. around Moorable right. Street and the like? I was a, a professional a racing cyclist. <laughs> but either joined the amateur cyclists or the professional. I thought, well, professional sounds good. And, you know, I was just a 15, 16-year-old kid. And uh, so, yes, I, I, I joined. Of course, I was hopeless at it, you know. I mean, <laughs> this was the year of Russell Mockridge and Sid Patterson, you know, who were world yeah. champions. And, uh, you know, I was just a, a chopping block for the for the better riders. But, you know, it was, it was just something to do. It was a, a fad that took off uh, across Australia, to be a cyclist, you know, racing cyclist. But I fell up too many times and my mother refused to allow me to uh, to continue. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Bert, did you ever have singing lessons or did you literally learn on the job? Well, I I did have singing lessons. I, when, when I joined the musical comedy company in Geelong, um, I, I I won a competition uh, to the to have free singing lessons from the musical director of the of the shows, and so I I started off having singing lessons, and they they went for about I think eight or ten weeks, and then later on when I be, when I became I found myself on television, I went to the conservatorium in Sydney, here and. Uh, I went to the professional teacher and you know, that, that was a, an ongoing thing to improve my range and power. And, uh, yes, yeah, so that's they, the answer is yes. But, of course, you learn on your feet, as Brian would tell you. You know, you're getting out there in front of people. It's much better than than learning or, 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 or practicing. Or practicing is great, but, I mean, you've got to get out there amongst the crowd and see if, you're, if you've got anything to offer. Yeah. Some of the songs you've done in your career, uh, if you if you had a little, like a three play that uh, on the radio, which which would be the one that you reckon uh, would most capture people's imaginations? The neighbours theme, 
Susie Darling, which I reckon is a great song you did in 1973 with John Farrah, or the yeah, one, or the that, one-eyed trouser and, snake. And the <laughs> <laughs> one-eyed trouser snake. Yeah, that was in the Mackenzie area, but yeah. Uh, era. Yeah, I mean, you've got to put neighbours in there because uh, you know. Well, it did what it did. Yeah. But uh, Susie Darling, that was a number one in Canada. I think it went up to number seven here in Australia. But that was very popular. And uh, but, but one of the one of the, the songs, the big songs that I, I love, I will put in there would be uh, "What Kind of Fool Am I?" The Anthony Newley anthem, which uh, I got a fab- fabulous arrangement. Uh, I think uh, I think Tony Hatch did it, and uh, you know it's it's just one of those songs that you know it really comes together. I mean, it, it wasn't in the hit parade or anything like that, which is on one of my show albums. Uh, And, you know, I think I was singing really well and, uh, you know, you just get that sort of, you finish it off and you you hear it back and you say, well, I'm I'm proud of that. I think that would have to be included. Yeah. Do you do any singing at all these days, Baz? No, no, just a, just a, a little bit, of, a bit here and there. Just <laughs> no. Once you retire, I think it's, uh, and you know, my uh, my style of singing is, uh, is is not what's happening out there today. It's all hip hop and grunge. Hang on, you got the number one song. You knocked off Adele and Ed Sheeran. Yeah, yeah, but that's that that would be for a brief moment, I think. You know, and it's, uh, I think <laughs> it's all matter. to do with neighbours. It doesn't matter now. Yes, I could say I went out at number one. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Now yeah. uh, I know you, you keep yourself pretty fit, so you're in good good fettle these days, Barry. Good fettle. That's a that's a, 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 a nice horse phrase, isn't it? Yes, I better to check my teeth and <laughs> <laughs> just don't go to the well, mounting yard, Barry, for God's sake. Look, I'm, mate, I'm, I'm 86, so I've got the usual creaks and, and, and groans and little bits and pieces that slow me down. Uh, but in general, my heart is strong and my breathing is still good because that's from years of learning how to breathe correctly. And I learned that at, uh, at, with singing lessons, you know, because yeah. a lot of singers just sing on their throat and don't know how to breathe. Generally, I can't complain, you know, for an old bugger. Yep. What uh, What advice would you give to young singers like Brian Mannix about, you know, that are coming through <laughs> the ranks now? <laughs> Is Brian starting his career again? Uh, yeah, it's 60 I'm yes, starting. Brian, yeah. don't, don't, don't ever give up. You never know what old song that they might find there. It could be suddenly something that you threw away once and then you thought, well, that will never do anything. And someone discovers it and puts it out there and all of a sudden you're number one. <laughs> well, I, I think it would be wonderful I, to um, get a number one at, at any age, but um, yeah. at your age, <laughs> exactly. it's just—it's fantastic. Have yeah. the, have the well, British tabloids been parking out in your driveway, and uh, you know, on your front lawn, trying to get uh, snaps of you? Yeah, I think I think they'd be scared to to take a picture of me now because you know, who's that old bugger? You know, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get his head on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen! Congratulations on on the song being number one. That's just—I mean—that's just an amazing feat at, at the age of eighty-six. That's terrific. Yeah, yeah. That's really well. I'm not—I'm not the oldest. Uh, you know, I'm the second oldest male to have a number one in in the UK. Who's the, the oldest? The oldest was uh, Sir, Sir Tom Moore, who. Uh, Remember the old bloke who uh, was walking up and down his driveway where he raised oh, millions yes. of pounds, you know, for his charities. He did You Never and Walk he, Alone? Yeah. You'll Never Walk Alone, and he was 100. <laughs> so I think, I don't think I'll make that, that's for sure. No, and you'll, you'll, you're both, right. you'll both be gazumped by Rod Stewart because his next sing, single, if it's number one, he has got to be over 100 by now, surely. <laughs> Rod Stewart has lived a wild life. We'll put it, England's Brian. (laughs) The life of Brian was lived by by Stewart. Yes, (laughs) very easily. Hey, Barry, thanks so much for your time, mate. We really appreciate having a chat with you and uh, all the best of luck for the future. It's my pleasure and thanks, guys. And, uh, you know, it's been a, a very short but wonderful run at being at number one. So uh, I'll, I'll take it as it is and uh, accept the kudos. Good on Thank you, you Kevin Bryan. Neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. Just a friendly way each morning helps to make a better day. Get to know each other 
Next door is only a footstep away. Neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors with a little understanding. You can find the perfect That's when good neighbors become good friends. All right, Barry Crocker's uh, Neighbors theme there. Hey, everybody. Good neighbors. And, of course, you had a starring role on the show. We didn't bring it up. How will you come to Hong Kong with me? <laughs> Connor Cleary. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's kind of acting performance. Yep. Okay. Incredible acting performance. Yes, right. It's on YouTube yeah. if you want to have a look. It's there. No, don't it look. It is. It it stop is. it, Kevin. I looked, I looked it up. I don't. Because I actually made you into a trivia question on my radio show the other day. Now, here's, here was the question. I was talking about Neighbours and I was talking about Barry's success. Yes. And uh, I mentioned that there'd been a lot of sporting people appeared on Neighbours and the trivia question I used uh, on my radio show was, so uh, in uh, a Neighbours episode, a series of Neighbours episodes, they had a, an Irish jockey. Oh. Who played the Irish jockey in Neighbours? Was it Damien Oliver? Yes. Jim Owen? Yes. Or Brian Mannix? And guess what the contestant said? Jim Owen? Damien Oliver first up, and then I said, no. He said, oh, I do. it would have been Jim Owen because he's Irish. And I said, no. And he said, surely it wasn't Brian Mannix. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it <Yeah>. was. <laughs> I wish he, it wasn't. And his words were, oh, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was, uh, that was poetic. Um, yeah, So uh, thanks to Barry for being on the program. He's a lovely, lovely, lovely man. It was a, a delight to have a, have a conversation with him. Yeah, what a terrific fellow. And good, good to see him having some success. And everyone everyone I've spoken to about Barry uh, in the last couple of weeks trying to get that interview organised has just said what a lovely, lovely man he is. So it was nice to, uh, nice to yeah. you know, make that connection with him. It really was. We did. Now, we don't want him driving on the roads, though, because at 86, he probably is, it's probably time to hang him up. But if you are driving on the roads, there are people yes. you need to talk to, and they are Murcott's Driving Excellence. 1300 555 576. That is their number. Murcott's.edu.au, and they will sort you out. I've got that. 1300 555 576. Beautifully done. Simple as dialing that and I'm a safer driver. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Just go and uh, have a talk to them. Jump on their website, mercots.edu.au, and you can see all the things that they do, the advanced courses and the uh, defensive driving courses and uh, uh, the vehicles that you can do it in, all uh, all those sorts of things. They'll, they'll have it all there on the website you so can, you can check that you out. You can get a gift voucher to give to somebody, couldn't you? Yeah, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. That would be a great present. It's a great idea, I reckon, a fabulous yeah. idea. Rather than tell somebody they're a shit driver. <laughs> the, um... It's the gift that says that without actually saying yeah. it. <laughs> it's like when you give somebody aftershave. It's like, oh, well, that's thoughtful, or do I stink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, be careful what you wish for. Alex right. Smith uh, and G Wayne Thomas uh, uh, will definitely be on the next uh, Life of Brian podcast. We look forward to bringing that to you, Brian. Take care of yourself. I'll do my best, Kev, but I'm not real good at that. But uh, we'll try. Red Jack, stop it. I'm tired. It's okay.